welcome to the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast with your hosts Chip Patterson and Barton Simmons. The ultimate insider's guide from signing day to the national championship game and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast. Oh, yes, we are back here on the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast. Thank you so much for all of your responses. Uh, It has been overwhelming. It's been great to hear from all of you. Make sure that if you are listening to this for the first time, that you get on iTunes, you subscribe, you review, you rate. We are brand new. This is only the third episode, and so I'm reading all of these responses. You will definitely be heard. I promise you. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Chip underscore Patterson. And Barton, you can follow him at Barton Simmons. Barton, we're back. We're ready to talk about the ACC. Um, how We've got SEC and ACC Media Days in the rear view. We're recording this on Monday. How has your talking season been so far? <laughs> It's been good, and it's it's kind of funny that ACC Media Day is the media day where we're, we're going to talk about all the chest pounding. Uh, you know, usually we're used to seeing the SEC get out there and, and flex their muscles about what a great conference it is, and and uh, I think the ACC is trying to to step their their, their talking game up with the the coaches this this past week. They, you were out of the media days, weren't you? Oh yeah, no, I was right there. I mean, they're they are not shying away. Uh, from that to the point where they went a they took a shot right at the SEC's it just means more so like you're in the Westin and downtown Char- or uptown Charlotte you're coming up the escalators to uh, the room where all the press conferences and the media availability is going to be and as you're coming up the escalators right at the top they had the national championship trophy the Heisman trophy the Orange Bowl trophy and they were on scales and it said it just weighs more. <laughs> I mean, that's a shot across the bow. It's almost like they sent out a memo to the coaches in the conference, and we're like, all right, here's your talking points. We're the best conference in the country. Make sure you hit it, and uh, you know that's that's going to be your 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 walking orders for this week. And uh, and man, they all fell in line. I feel like every time I looked up, there's another coach getting quoted saying we're the best conference in college football, and it's not even close. All right, so I wanted to I wanted to launch right there. So you've been like I I love your perspective here because uh, as uh, the head honcho at twenty four seven Sports, you've you've gotten to be at camps on the ground talking to coaches and sort of see the way that uh, the ACC has been building to a point where and this was like my one of the things I wrote for CBS Sports over, while I was there was that you need to understand that five years ago, just five years ago, it was 2012, the ACC had just two BCS wins dating back to 1998. Clemson had just gotten blasted by West Virginia, 70-33. to The SEC had just put two of its own teams, Alabama and LSU, in the national championship game. We were in the middle of conference realignment panic, and like people were wondering, like, is the ACC going to survive as a good fo- as a football conference? I mean, people were really freaking out. And in just five years, a whole lot has changed. Like, do you think that there is uh, do you think there is value credence, or um, you know, you can you can say that the ACC coaches are right or understand where they're coming from um, in terms of like 
is the ACC one of the best conferences? Look, because you know we all understand that in talking season, you're going to claim that you're the best. But how much truth do you think there is to some of these confident, bold claims? Well, I, I think that there, there are two different sort of things at play here. One is you know best conference on the field, which I think is probably the most important. And and I think there's I think there's really good parity in college football across the board. SEC is a one-team conference in a lot of respects right now with Alabama. Um, and and the Big Ten is is outstanding right now. The Pac-12 is so deep. Um, even the Big 12, I've said, I think it looks like it's going to have a you know a, a better year, a sort of a more of a cycle up year. But in terms of the talent, and and that's like you know, so I look at things from a recruiting standpoint. And obviously, the ACC did work last year, national title, Heisman Trophy, all that stuff. But you know, you still look at the the conference and you look at top to bottom and you look to, to the really the latter half of the conference and the Wake Forest, the Syracuse, the Virginias, the Boston colleges, the Dukes. I mean, the ACC can talk all they want about how strong of a conference it is. But when you talk about the talent and the guys that are getting drafted, the NFL draft and, and where I think is the most rugged conference in college football I still don't think that you can really make a case that it's the ACC. I, I just I'm, I can't buy that, um, even if it's not the SEC. And I know the SEC has taken slumps here recently. Then I, you know I'm going to look to the Big Ten uh, or even the Pac-12. I, I just I'm not sure. I, to me, the depth in the ACC is not there to to be able to really tout that claim. Um, the top of, the top of the conference is we'll talk about it. I mean. Yeah, those guys can play with anybody. Right, but uh, you know, the, you, to be to be the best conference of college football, you got to have parity and you got to depth. And I'm just not sure I see that yet in the ACC. I, I listen. It, it is a it is a big big old league. SEC, ACC, Big Ten. Uh, you got 14 teams, and you're always going to have some good team. Like everybody's got good teams. Everybody's got some bad teams. For me, a lot of it is the strength in the middle. I think the ACC improved its strength over the last five years by making smart coaching hires. I think that pretty much unilaterally across the board, most of the coaching hires have seen uh, an increase in recruiting, an increase in uh, coaching and development along the way. And the real challenge for the ACC moving forward is that when you come out and you start beating your chest, um, you you got to back it up. You know, they, they keep pointing to the same statistics, uh, you know, winning against Power 5 non-conference opponents, uh, national championships, Heisman trophies. You're pointing to the same statistics where the ACC was really, really lacking from 1998 to like 2012. And so there's been, you know, more time over the last two decades where that hasn't been the case. And I'm really interested as, you know, we're getting into this. I'm like, okay, ACC, you want to talk big? That's good because I think... I think the ACC has done, I mean, the, the Boston Colleges, uh, the Wake Forests, Duke, there are certainly some, some unique schools there, particularly when it, Georgia Tech even, when it comes to the recruiting yeah. challenges. Um, but the ACC's always been, like, if not on par, not far behind the SEC and NFL talent. And that was my disconnect. It's like, you obviously are getting talented players into the league, you're obviously sending players to the NFL. And this is where the Miami Hurricanes are probably, you know, one of the biggest culprits is like, why aren't these NFL players able to get more done at the college level? Yeah. And, and 
you know, I wonder how that breakdown in NFL talent has looked team to team. Because you're right. I mean, Miami and Florida State and 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 Clemson in recent years is, I mean, they're they're putting out as many NFL players as anybody in, in college football. So, it's, I, you know, and, and it's so disproportionate, though, to – I still think in the SEC, for instance, because that's always going to be the conference that people compare to. Sure. When you look at the, when you look at the, the latter half of the SEC, you know, I, I, I don't want the, – those teams are still producing regular NFL talent. Um, for the most part, I mean, that, that's, that's, there's a couple exceptions, but I, I think for the most part, they're consistently producing NFL talent. I'm not sure you're seeing consistent NFL production in the latter half of the ACC as much as you're just seeing boatloads in the, in the top three or four. Um, and so I, I'd like to see if, you know, they can springboard off of this recent success and, and, um, and some of these, cause some of these coaches and we'll talk about them, but some of these coaches are in this, this, this tenure now where look it's time for them to they've had time to, to get their program in place dave clausen's mm. had time to to be awake for us for a while uh pat narduzzi's been at pit for a while now um you know steve adazio no excuses there you know he's 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 had plenty of time to get things rolling so i mean all these teams at this point you know there there isn't it's not like they're building something they've they've got something built it's time to get it rolling and, um, you know, I think those are the teams that are going to have to start getting to eight, eight, nine wins and cycling up every once in a while for this conference to really be called, I think, the best conference of college football. Well, they uh, let's let's start right at the top, because I will say that, you know, you talk about cycling up there. There is a there is a little bit of a danger where where Alabama and then I guess if you if you want to include Auburn in a little in in this conversation as well when you stretch it all the way back to like 2010 that you know there are team there are no other teams in the SEC West that are cycling up and in the ACC Atlantic we've got Florida State and Clemson and we've got a real chance that the way that you look at the SEC and you think it's Alabama and everybody else, you know, we could hit a period where it's Florida State and Clemson and everybody else. And that's kind of where we're at right now. Uh, they are at the top of our win totals prediction list from the South Point Sportsbook. Now, uh, let's start with the Knowles, man. We got this at 9.5. Now, we obviously opened against Alabama. I've got that as an L, but... I think 9.5 is way, way, way too low. And I'll even throw to you, Barton, would you take it at 10.5? Do you think that the (laughs) Knowles can lose to Alabama and run the table or upset the tide and then only have one more loss on the schedule? Yeah, so first we should probably state, all right, so the the totals are regular season totals. Right. So, you know, whatever they do in the postseason doesn't matter. But I'm actually with you in this chip like i think that florida state is very possibly i think they're going to lose the first game to alabama but this is the type of scenario i could see florida state losing the first game to alabama running the tables getting a rematch in the national title game or the college football playoffs and winning that second second go round this is a national title type of team and I, I could absolutely see this being a, an 11 to one type of season and I'm with you on the over for sure nine and a half is that gives us a 10 and two season which I think is very much in reason of course that gives them only one loss in conference but I, I, I'll take that bet I mean I just this is for a couple things that I love about this team the main thing is Derwin James 
I oh, mean, yeah. Derwin Healthy. James, to me, regardless of position, and I'm not talking about the NFL draft, I'm talking about college football, he's the best player in college football. And he is, you know, I played safety, so I, I love the position, but he's not even a safety. I don't know what he is. He's, he's, a, he's a pass rusher on third down. He's, a, he's an in-the-box defender on, on you know, third and shorts. He's a, he, you know, he's a guy that can blitz. He's a guy that can pl- cover the slot. He's a guy that can be a run support guy. He can be a back-end hawk. I, I just love him, and I think a big reason why they had so many issues middle of the season there with their defense is just because Derwin James was out. So him being back, him being healthy makes this defense, I think, really, really good. Uh, and and I just – I really like this team. And, and I think that, to me, this is the best team in the ACC and the best best shot they have at winning another national title, which is, I think, pretty significant. So I'm with it. Um, and Cam Akers, man, keep an eye out for Cam Akers this year. The, the true freshman running back. He was the number one back in the country, according to us, and at 24-7. And I think this is going to be one of those deals where, you know, 2014, Carlos Williams was a big back coming, returning, and, and Dalvin Cook ended up sort of stealing the spotlight and, and stepping into, uh, you know, into, the, into some shoes there where he became the guy. And, and I think that's going to be the same thing with Jacques Patrick and Cam Akers. I think Akers is the more twitchy, more explosive kid. And I think he's going to be by the end of the season. Maybe not, maybe not day one, but by the end of the season, I think Cam Akers is going to be one of the best true freshmen in college football, and 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 will be their premier back. Right. Like I could, I could totally see a, where Patrick starts, and then maybe there's like one or two plays against Alabama that get everybody really excited, and then like Akers is going to blow a blocking assignment and get benched for the rest of the game, and then we're going to start <laughs> screaming for him the rest of the season. And well, then like, I remember he had two fumbles in the spring game. Oh so yeah, he's, he's got some. You know, he's already kind of behind the eight ball a little bit. So there's <laughs> going to be some. <laughs> he's got to get out of the doghouse and, and secure the football. But man, he's exciting. Uh, all right, I do not think there is. Uh, an Achilles heel or a weak spot on the defense. And I think that's a tremendous start for Florida State, no doubt. I think that Derek Nottie is going to be a superstar at nose guard this season. Uh, I think that Jacob Pugh is going to have a very good season, a breakout uh, sort of spot for him. If there is uh, a weak spot on this team, like, is it offensive line? Is that the one place where you would have to say Florida State maybe needs to go out and prove it because you're, you know, you're going to be against Alabama, but you've also got to play Clemson. And if you're going to win the ACC Atlantic, uh, you know, you're going to be going up against Dexter Lawrence and Christian Wilkins and Cleland Farrell. Like, do you think that Florida State's offensive line is in a position where DeAndre Francois maybe won't be won't have to take as many hits, where they'll be able to open up the lanes for Jacquez Patrick and Cam Akers? Because man, at wide receiver, you got Nyquan Murray. I mean, you've got some talent out there. I don't know where. How do you how do you see uh, the Florida State? Like, if you are going up against Florida State, where's their weak spot? I mean, it was definitely offensive line last year. Golly, I mean, DeAndre Francois got his brains beaten in, and and so I guess my assumption is that it can't get any worse. It's right. going to get better. Uh, and so uh, assuming it does get better, assuming it's just sort of nominally like improved, then then that's I think that that's all you kind of you're looking for. Um, you know, Rick Trickett, great reputation as an offensive line coach. 
And and I think if if he can just get these guys a little better, I mean, they return, I guess, what three starters yeah. on the offensive front. So th- there's there's guys there with some experience. Um, I, I think that they're they should be good enough up front to me to um, uh, to 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 get to be whatever they need to be offensively. Um, I, I think it's no longer going to be a weakness. Is it a strength? You know, I don't know if they can make that kind of a leap, but. Um, I, I definitely think that the offensive line is is the thing that needs to be addressed, but it's also the thing that um, is is going to improve just just based on what we know about the way Florida State develops players. What we know about the Clemson Tigers is they've just got a monopoly on defensive tackles. Like it might be the two of the best defensive tackles in the entire country, and I just mentioned them earlier. Dexter Lawrence and Christian Wilkins are going to be lining up for the Clemson Tigers. Dabo Sweeney talking to us. Man, the, the word he's tossing around a lot right now is salty. He was like, it will be a little bit different, but we're going to be salty up front. We're going to be salty in the trenches. He likes uh, Tyrone Crowder is in the house. He likes what they have on the offensive line. He likes what they have on the defensive line. And it seems like, you know, uh, you know, we you played football. We've covered football for a while. Like, it's it's got to be nice as a football coach when you're re- losing a Mike Williams, uh, when you're losing Deshaun Watson, you know, the one of the best the best quarterback uh, in college football over the last two years with a twenty eight and two record as a starter. Uh, when you're losing um, all of that offensive production, it's got to be nice to know that you're going to be good in the trenches. Uh, where do you see Clemson's offense going and starting under center where you've got Kelly Bryant, who was Deshaun Watson's backup, you've got Zarek Cooper, and then you have Hunter Johnson, the highly touted high school prospect? Well, so the the way I look at Clemson right now, and the number is nine and a half, and, and I see them as a an Alabama-level program. Wow. So Alabama – is has been a dominant force in, in college football since Nick Saban's been there, basically. But when Alabama has down years, you know they they had eleven wins in in 2013. They had twelve wins in 2014. Like those are the those are the down years for Alabama. This could be a down year for Clemson only because of the quarterback position. But everywhere else on the Clemson roster is is loaded. So to me, a down year this year is still above nine and a half wins. I mean, the down year just means they may not win a national title. Right. Down, win, down <laughs> year still means that they they you know are are con- potentially in the ACC championship game. You know, it's just a Florida. It's, a, it's to me, it's a it's a two team race in the ACC with Florida State, and it means they still have a chance to be in the college football playoffs. I just don't know that they can beat an Alabama type of team this year with their quarterback, but. I mean, all that to say, like, this is a team that, despite the questions at quarterback, it, it doesn't matter because their offense is, is, is so well-oiled. It's, they're, they're able to, I think, uh, move the football with, with all the talent they've got at receiver. Uh, it's, it's time for Tavian Feaster to step up at running back, the big-time, highly-touted kid out of high school. They've got a great offensive line, as you mentioned, you know, this is this is not a, an insurmountable problem here at the quarterback position. And they've got talented players. You mentioned Hunter Johnson. To me, he's not a day one starter. Um, you know, he played some of the spring game, watched a little bit of that. I still just think he's – if he's your starter, I, I'd be a little bit concerned about Clemson getting tripped up somewhere along the way by, by someone that didn't need to beat them. But 
this is a team, despite all that, when you got the best front four in college football, which is what Clemson has, I, I think you can beat anybody, uh, you know, with, with, with that defense behind them. So um, I, I really like Clemson. I think this is a this is a nine and a half win team plus. When was the last time we thought Alabama would only win nine games in the regular season? Right. You know, and so I'm not going to make that leap with Clemson either. They're not going to win nine. They're not going to go nine and three because there's just so much talent on this roster. All right. So here, here's what I've got as my potential trouble games. We got Florida State. We got Louisville. Got Auburn and at NC State. I think that at NC State right, because Clemson. There have been some games in the last couple years. Um, last year's NC State game was one of them. The Georgia Tech game on a Thursday night was another. I think that we got a preview of the way that Clemson's going to win a lot of games in 2017 because while there was uh, several games where they were having shootouts and putting a lot of big points on the board, that there were also games where they were winning with their defense, where they were winning with that salty defensive line. You know, winning games like. 23 to 10 uh you know 20 to 17 like there there've been those those spots in the last 2 years as they've gone 28 and 2 over that time i like who do you favor in the Auburn Clemson game right now that game is going to be fascinating because right i think right now Clemson's actually favored i think Vegas has got them favored wow uh wow. And, which i know i'm I, I'm a little bit surprised by that, but I think I'm just getting seduced by the the, the quarterbacks. I think Jarrett Stidham versus Clemson's quarterbacks are, are uh, gives gives Auburn a little bit of an edge. But when you really look at it, uh, I mean, I just think that's a testament to what this defense yeah. is going to put on the field. Wow! I mean, Brent Venables. How many times in the last couple of years has Brent Venables replaced just a, a busload of of early NFL? draftees oh Vic Beasley Grady Jarrett I mean it's it's been churning over uh all the way yeah he 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 like rolls trots out a whole new roster of defensive players every year and it's still the best in the country and so to me that's going to be the identity of this team in in the same way that last year's Alabama's team identity was that that defensive front uh and, and how good they were on defense they're just I think this is a chance to be a suffocating defense with Dexter Lawrence, Chris, I mean Christian Wilkins moving back inside. Oh. Uh, I mean, remember that he, this is a three hundred pound guy that was playing DN last year. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's unbelievable. So I, I just think Clemson has is that good up front on defense that they could they could be shutting teams out and getting a bunch of bunch of defensive scores helping their offense out. And and it's not like they've got some pro style offensive system that like needs a quarterback to to you know, to, uh, Oh no, Dion Kane can run so far behind a defensive defensive backfield. You just need to throw it within like 10 yards of him. He'll catch up to it. And Hunter Renfro is in the the slot, you know, Ray, Ray McLeod. And and then again, Tavian Feasters. I mean, this, they've got so much athleticism out there that all they really need is a quarterback that can read one half of the field and, and throw the ball to open space. And (laughs) and I think that they're going to be able to handle that. Uh, interesting storyline coming out of the ACC 
football kickoff was Bobby Petrino talking a lot about Lamar Jackson, talking a lot about the work that they're putting in, trying to get his footwork right, trying to get him under center so that the NFL coaches and NFL scouts start to believe in him as something more than a system or college quarterback. Of course, college quarterback when coming out of the word of out of the mouth of an NFL scout certainly is a is a damning indication of a lack of faith in his ability to make the transition. Um, nine and a half is this number for the Cardinals. We saw their offensive line totally exposed. They go and they hire Mike Summers as the new offensive line coach. No one's shying away from that being a, a big spot where they need to improve. But there were also a lot of veteran guys, uh, three-year players, a couple grad transfers who they're losing on the defensive side of the ball, bringing in Lorenzo Ward there. I, I think Lamar Jackson is a tremendous talent. I feel like the fact that Bobby Petrino is still there might be the upset of the uh you know the upset of the last five years I figured for sure given his his path that he would maybe be jumping for another job but things seem somewhat calm uh for the Cardinals uh where at nine and a half I'm taking the under Barton but I don't think that it's going to drop to like eight or seven like I feel pretty good about the Cardinals as the third best team in the Atlantic, not only this year, but probably uh, just sort of in the general pecking order moving forward. I'm, I'm kind of with you. I, I think, and and so last year before the season, I actually wrote that, that I thought Louisville was a dark horse, like ACC championship contender. Because I, 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 I thought that they, remember they had Devontae Fields last year yep. and, and all those defensive talented players, Josh Harvey Clements and those guys, um, you know, Lamar Jackson looked like he could have been ready to take that next big step forward. Obviously, he did, and then some. Uh, but I, I don't get the same vibe from this year's team. I, I get the vibe in some ways. And remember, they finished, what, 0-3 their last three games, including the bowl game. Yeah. Uh, they sort of puttered to the finish line. Their offensive line was horrendous all year long. That Kentucky uh, loss was bad. That Kentucky yeah. loss was real bad. Yeah, and then and then you know LSU. I mean, no slouch, but LSU stomped them. I mean, they they couldn't move the ball at all, and and uh, the Tigers there. So, um, to me, it feels like they snuck up on a lot of people early in the season. There was the Lamar Jackson factor that no no one really saw coming. They no no, no one really understood how tough he was going to be to defend. People started to figure them out a little bit. The, the offensive line started to get exposed. And now we're looking at a year where they're not going to sneak up on anybody. They lost their top three receivers. They lost some really key pieces to their defense from last year. Uh, and I, I just, you know, I, I no longer have the same level of confidence in them, in part because of that sort of target on their back all of a sudden. Um, and, and so I, I think – I'm with you. I, just, I don't think the bottom falls out. I think nine wins is sounds reasonable, um, if not eight. But uh, you know, to me, this is a team that's still going to need a Herculean effort from Lamar Jackson. I do think Bobby Petrino is one of the best coaches in college football. So uh, you know, in that sense, you, you don't really you, you're not super confident there's going to be a big step back. But uh, it's still going to be Lamar Jackson's team. And w- when you're a one man team, man, like that's there's a there's a lot that can go wrong, and yeah. uh, you know, so I, I like them to just sort of be that clear third team uh, in the ACC. 
Um, one of the, uh, I, I just feel like there's a lot of defensive coordinators and defensive staffs that just spent all summer just breaking down tape, just so angry at what Lamar had done to him, especially <laughs> early in the season. There's going to be some, there's going to be, they'll, they will, they, I hope Bobby Petrino puts in some new wrinkles because some of the old plays will be figured out for sure. And how about them? Uh, how about Bobby Petrino saying that Lamar Jackson's like cut like a tenth of a second off his forty time this off season? <laughs> did you Did you hear that? Oh yeah, 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 he's yeah. Down to like four three something, and he was a four four guy last year or something like that. So he's they're they're not backing down on their uh, you know uh, the Herculean <laughs> Lamar Jackson. I think that they still think he can get it done. All right, moving over to the, the ACC Coastal, two teams at the top, Miami and Virginia Tech. One of these teams. Uh, has pretty much since the ACC first expanded to 12 back in 2004 been the class of the division, Virginia Tech. The other one was expected to be the class of the division when the ACC first expanded. That's why you put them on the opposite side of Florida State. That's why you had them playing the early season Florida State game so they could rematch in the title game. And year after year after year, even though there were two postseason bans in there, but the Hurricanes have not gotten it done. Uh, it's really interesting. All the conversations from Mark Walton uh, to Shaq Quarterman to Mark Richt, they're, they are doing it like it is coach speak through and through. He said, we got to win the Coastal. We, before we start talking about even ACC championships, like forget about competing for playoff spots and national championships, they know that they got to win this doggone division and man, it looks right now like Miami has the best defensive front in that ACC Coastal Division. Uh, they've got a couple playmakers, Mark Walton, I'll throw Amon Richards in there too, that are all ACC caliber type talent with the quarterback being the big question. Uh, we think Mark Rick hopes to make a decision on the quarterback position after the second week. Um, is it Malik Rogier? Is it Kosi Perry? Um, this this Miami team, man, I'm I am drinking the Kool Aid, Barton. I I've got Miami as my ACC Coastal Division champs. I think they get it done this year. I think it will be a fun storyline for the Hurricanes, for college football, and for the ACC. I'm not big on the U is back type stuff, and I'm not going to be pushing nostalgia down anyone's throat. But for a program with the brand of Miami football, uh, it it would be good to see them be able to not be a disappointment. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I, I think that they've, if they don't win the Coastal, it'll be a disappointment. Agreed. And uh, I, you mentioned it. I think all they're missing is a quarterback. If, if Brad Kyle was back, this would be a team that people would be making dark horse whispers about for national title, like, you know, college football playoffs type of run. But but here's what's I think interesting to me is that Brad Kai left as Miami's all-time leading passer, which which shocks me. Like I had to look at that twice to to even verify that that was true. But it, it is all the guys that have gone through Miami, and that guy's their all-time leading passer after leaving early. Right. Uh, and yet, like they didn't lose Jim Kelly to me. Like they didn't even lose Ken Dorsey to me. They they lost Brad Kaya who despite all those passing yards, despite starting as a freshman, was a six-round draft pick and really never looked like some dominating quarterback. And so while it would be ideal for Miami to have him back, I look at whoever's going to line up at quarterback, whether it's Malik Rozier or 
you know, Evan Sheriffs, I, I, you know, I'd be a little worried about the true freshman, Nikosi Perry. But if it's just a serviceable guy back there that can get him in good plays, make good decisions, I don't think it's going to take a whole lot for Miami to win the Coastal. I, I think that, um, you know, Amon Richards to me is one of the best receivers in college football. Wow. You know, Mark Walton is, is, uh, is a legit big-time running back. And this defense might be one of the best in the country. And so with all those things said, and you're playing in the weaker division, I, you know, to me, this, this team just looks like they have the pieces to even despite the quarterback play to where they can, they can make a run at this thing. And, and they should be the favorites to win the division. All right, so our over-under is at nine. I've got them at 10-2 and two with one Florida State loss and one loss somewhere else along the line just getting tripped up. Um, and hopefully it's not to the wrong teams and they end up losing this thing on a tiebreaker, but I think that they'll get it uh, over on the nine at 10-2 and two and 6-2 and two in conference play. Yeah, so I, I agree. I think I think like nine and three is sort of what I envision, but 10-2 and two is much more realistic to me than eight and four. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I agree. And I mean, I, I just can't wait to see the evolution of that defense. Cause if, if, if we can get Miami rocking again, like we used to, where they, even if they're not that good on offense, I just love seeing savages on defense. Oh, Chad it, it, Thomas, <laughs> baby dude, Chad Thomas coming around and just feasting on quarterbacks. I am here for it. And those, and those, all those, linebackers that were all true freshmen last year that are now playing as true sophomores, Michael Pinckney and Shaq Quarterman and Zach McLeod. If those guys can can take that next step forward, it's just going to be fun to watch Miami again to where you can see the athleticism on the field. So that's what I'm excited about. And and if, if their offense can just do enough, then I, I think nine wins feels like a pretty safe play. All right. Uh, Virginia Tech, the number is set at eight and a half. Um, Cam Phillips is a stud. Cam Phillips is going to be pretty good, but we don't know exactly what Virginia Tech's doing at quarterback. Uh, we know that Bud Foster is going to have uh, a nasty defense for sure. The number at eight and a half, I, I kind of feel like the Hokies are going to be sitting more around like an eight and four type season. I'm going under, but I would say that of all these teams near the top, Virginia Tech is probably one of those where I have the least amount of confidence in the personnel. And I think that this season will be a great indication of Justin Fuente as an offensive coach. You know, that's certainly the reputation he came in with, former offensive coordinator. But if he is able to sort of craft together a good scheme that works for this group after losing a Bucky Hodges, after losing an Isaiah Ford, then I, I'm going to be really, really impressed. And I think that's a good sign for the Hokies moving forward. But for this year, eight and a half, I'm feeling under. Yeah. I mean, Justin Fuentes had what? He's had a 3,000 yard passer each of the last three years. Yeah. He had Paxton Lynch twice, Gerard Evans last year, 3,500 yards, and he led the team in rushing too. So uh, to to go from those guys to this year, which is going to be, I don't know who's going to be a quarterback, Joshua Jackson or Hendon Hooker, probably the the, the true freshman. Uh, yeah, I think my go, money's on uh, my money's on Pacey. Josh okay. Josh Jackson, <laughs> Joshua Jackson. <laughs> I, I see. I'm, I pro- I agree with you, though. I think Hendon, Hendon Hooker really flashed in the spring game, and he's I think he's the quarterback of the future. 
it just may take him some time to get there. This was somebody in, in Hendon Hooker. Now he was supposed to be in high school in this past spring. And then when Gerard Evans went to the NFL draft, um, you know, Justin Fuente called Hooker up and was like, Hey buddy, <laughs> you, you may have an opportunity to come in here and start. So you may want to think about graduating early and, and getting on campus. And, and he showed up and, and, and had a pretty good spring. So I'm intrigued by that kid, but, but I look, I, I'm with you though on, on the under, this feels like a tall task offensively. Uh, I mean, they lost some, some key pieces to their receiving core. Um, you know, they lost again. They didn't really have much of a run game to speak of beyond uh, Gerard Evans. And they, so they, they still, I think, need to find a way to get some more balance there. Um, I, I think that this is a team that is a year away. Um, I really like what Justin Fuente's done in a short period of time. Uh, but I don't know how they're going to find a, a whole lot of consistent offense. And I, as much as I like this defense, um, and Tremaine Ed- Edmonds is, to me, one of the most exciting players to watch in college football. Uh, he had like 18 tackles for loss last year. He's a 6'5 linebacker that just flies to the ball. Um, so I love this defense. I like the way they play. Uh, but, you know, this is, I, I still think, a team that's, that's probably a year away um, they play Clemson this year where they didn't play Clemson, Florida State, or Louisville last year. So that's probably one extra loss. Um, so, I, I, you know, as much as I think they do have some really good talent coming in as true freshmen, I think those are the guys that are going to be helping them really move the ball a lot next year more so than this fall. So I, I'm thinking like an eight and four year to me as well. It's the uh, – this is this is a team where I'm really uh, going to lean on Barton hard because even though they're right here in my backyard, uh, they're, the big questions for the North Carolina Tar Heels are, you know, boy, who's – like there are so many touches in Larry Fedora's offense, but who is going to be making them and who are going to be making the plays after really reloading pretty much everywhere. Now, at North Carolina, the the coaching staff is confident in what they have up front on offense. Uh, Our win total is at seven. I I have this theory that, you know, when you – when you recruit pretty well, and uh, according to the twenty four seven Sports Composite rankings, you know they've been you know top five or top six normally, either like five or six in the ACC for most of the time that Larry Fedora and that staff has been in place. You know, I tend to think that you know, when you push the program to a certain level, uh, eleven wins, Coastal Division title, rewrite all the offensive record books, you are able to at least make it so that. When you reload, you're not going to fall back, but so far, like I don't think that North Carolina is going to go out there and be four and eight this season. I think there's been uh, too much work put in place on the development side, and there's too much knowledge of the scheme for them to totally fall apart. But at seven, boy, that's a really, really tough number for me uh, for the Tar Heels. Um, like, are you are you buying into the idea that Brandon Harris is here? Is Chaz Surratt the guy for at quarterback, and is like how how do you look at North Carolina going into the upcoming season? Uh, to, I'm calling this a finger in the dam type of season for North Carolina. Like they're to me, they're just holding the pieces together this year, trying to survive, have a decent season, and get to next year where they, I think they'll be a little bit more well equipped. But I mean, they could start as many as three grad transfers on their offense this year, uh, with with two on the offensive line and and 
Brandon Harris at quarterback. I, I'm I'm really interested to see what happens with Brandon Harris. To to just give ACC people a little bit of a uh, a refresher on what Brandon Harris is. This is a guy that came to LSU as one of the most highly rated quarterbacks in the class. Who, if you just get him out on a on a field in shirt in a, a t-shirt and shorts, throws about the prettiest ball you're going to see anywhere in the country. I mean, he's got a phenomenal arm. And, and I think the big problem with him is he was in a system where he wasn't able to get in rhythm at LSU. He wasn't able to, to really play to his strengths. I think he's in a much more friendly system to his traits at North Carolina. He played in a spread in high school. This is a spread system. And I, I think when he's able to just operate and throw high volume and, and use some of his athleticism, I, I think he's much more well-equipped and you know and and we'll put that to the test because he's never really gotten the done job done at LSU he's I think he's probably going to be the quarterback at, at North Carolina the quarterbacks looked horrible in the spring game at North Carolina uh, I just don't have faith in the other guys on the roster and so this is going to be I think a really good opportunity for Brandon Harris to make good on some of the, his his you know high school football recruiting um and i think he's capable because it's the right system but it's a big big question mark so that's going to be interesting you know they've got their, their leading returning rusher has like 45 yards to his name last year so it's not like they've got a a, a big running back you can, they can lean on i think michael carter has a chance to be a big time name uh, who's a true freshman at the running back position a little bit of a Giovanni Bernard type of guy Ooh. as far as the skill set he brings. So, look, I think there's some exciting things about this team, but right now, to me, it's a push to under for me at seven. Like, I have a hard time getting to eight. And they also have Louisville and North Carolina State from the Atlantic. So, you know, it, that's a tough draw right there in terms of your crossover games. Um I, I just think this might be a little bit of a step back year for North Carolina, uh, and for them to regroup heading, you know, heading towards the, the next couple of years under Larry Fedora. While North Carolina is finger in the dam and trying to figure out, uh, you know, who is going to take over at all these spots and get all these touches, uh, NC State, a number that you know, six and five. Goodness gracious, Dave Dorn's in a lot of trouble. If uh, if if they go six and six this season, because the expectations when you bring back Ryan Finley, another year with uh, Eli Drinkwitz, you're staying consistent at the offensive coordinator, Jalen Samuels, like a, an all-purpose player, so nasty that the ACC added all-purpose to its all ACC team so that he could get out there. Uh, you got a great defensive front with Bradley Chubb, NFL talent leading the way. I I man, I I would set this over under. Like my own number would be seven and a half, and I, I think that even then, uh, you're looking at a Wolfpack team where a lot of the expectation around Raleigh is that you want to go eight, and it's a tough schedule. But I, I think this is a seven or eight win NC State team in what is absolutely a huge, huge year. Like I, I don't feel like the expectations have really reverberated nationally here for the Wolfpack, but boy, locally they're on fire. <laughs> hey, look, it's good to hear you say this coming straight out of Raleigh because I, I was going to get on here and ask you, like, why do I feel crazy 
for for trying to blow up NC State and, and talk them up. Like I think this team has a chance to be really, really good. It sounds like they do too, so that makes me feel a little bit better. But when you talk to like college coaches uh, in, in the ACC and, and when they talk about coaches that have played NC State, even despite their, their middling record last year, that when they trot that team out onto the field, they look like and and the talent that they have is top tier talent. Like yeah. they look like national title contender just rolling out off, off the bus, based on just sort of the physical guys that they've got. And so I think that that matters. A and and again, just like the Clemson thing, when you got a great defensive front. That that cures a lot of ills, and they have got an absolutely loaded defensive front. Contavious Street and Bradley Chubb are are two of the maybe one of the best bookend defensive ends in the country. Um, and so I look, I I really like this team. Um, they've got what seven of their top eight defensive linemen returning, so they've still got uh, uh, you know beyond even their starters. I mean, they're deep there. Um, and then the other thing I like. Is, is it is a tough schedule I mean when you look at their non-conference they got Notre Dame and South Carolina uh, you know those I don't care who you are I mean you take that one premier non-conference game and, and you take a couple wins everywhere else if, if, if I'm a college football team but you know they got two tough ones and they do have to me a big one is they get in Louisville at home on a Thursday night yep. and I think that gives them uh, in a swing game that to me is enough to get them a win so all that said I like your line better than the six and a half I think this is one of the safer bets that we've talked about yet in the ACC chip um you know I I think I think this is an eight win team and if they go six and six um you know I don't know if you can find another prop out there somewhere that uh <laughs> that that's uh Doran is gone because if they go six and six, I don't know how he survives. Uh, this is too talented of a team to go under six and a half. Pittsburgh's number is set at six and a half. Uh, like such an interesting team because Pittsburgh, on one hand, defeated the ACC champion Clemson Tigers in Death Valley. They beat the Big Ten champion Penn State Nittany Lions, though arguably that was earlier in the season before Penn State really got hot and got rolling uh, down the stretch. So we know that the Panthers can play with the best, but there's still so many spots on this schedule, so many close games that sort of broken either way. You know, you thought that Pat Narduzzi was going to be, uh, you know, bringing a, a huge defensive presence to this team, and then all of a sudden they're out here playing 71 to 65 <laughs> games against Syracuse in the Carrier Dome. Uh, our number is at six and a half right now. What like what, what do you make of Pitt right now and sort of the the Pat Narduzzi era, which you know has had to continually recycle uh, and rehire and hire new offensive coordinators. Uh, you've had great production offensively last year from uh, James Conner. You bring back Quadri Henderson. Like if if Pittsburgh was a sum of its parts, I'd feel really good about this being like an eight or nine win season maybe, but we know football takes a little bit more than that. Our numbers at six and a half. I like the over here, but I'm curious to hear what you think the Panthers ceiling is in 2017. 
Yeah, I I like the over barely. This is another team that is tough to figure out because they do get a new offensive coordinator. I, I think and thought Matt Canada is one of the best offensive coordinators in college football. What he did at Pitt last year was really fun to watch. The way they put defenses in a bind, the way they used the jet sweep game, all the different ways they got their playmakers the football, particularly in space. I, I thought that that was – to me, the identity of Pitt and Sean Watson, a little bit different. Um, I think that you know he had a, a failed tenure in Texas, but people forget this is the guy that that helped develop Teddy Bridgewater as well. So he, he's capable, um, and so it'll it'll be interesting to see what he's able to to put together. Uh, remember, they got the new quarterback in Max Brown. Uh, the grad transfer from USC, who actually started over Sam Darnold last year for the first couple games. Didn't do it that well. But, I mean, he was the guy that USC tabs. And and I think a big part of that was what he brought to the locker room. And so I think that that's going to be something that Pitt benefits from and and Max Brown. Um, You know, I went and visited USC over the summer, and and in their weight room they've got like a, a, a trophy with the names of of the guys that win the weight room award every year with, with guys like Troy Palomalu on there and Max Brown won the weight room trophy a couple wow. years ago, just based on the, not necessarily pure mass, but just on the way he works in the weight room. So I think that that's something that is some leadership he's going to bring. And I think he, you know, that should be fairly seamless transition from Nathan Peterman who has some of those same qualities. Um, but ultimately it's about what this defense can do because I, I still think the offense is going to be able to find enough you know as you mentioned Quadri Henderson Kadria Olison, Max Brown I think is good enough the, you know the the wide receiver Jester Wea who's, who's I mean he had like 25 yards a catch last year um, I, they're going to have enough offensively it's, it's what they can do on defense and if you remember at Michigan State so Pat Narduzzi, what he does defensively is he just puts his, his cornerbacks on an island. And when you got Trey Waynes and, and Darquez Denard back there at Michigan State, first-round draft picks, you can do a lot of stuff uh, on defense. And you can really bring a lot of heat. And he's so aggressive defensively that he's put those guys on such an island that they just haven't been able to hold up. And, and yet here we are, you know, a couple years into the tenure and – you know, you th- hope he's starting to develop those defensive backs that can help him institute a system. We'll, we'll find out. But, um, you know, at, at this point, I just think when you look at the schedule, uh, I'm barely on the over at around seven, uh, but I still just can't. I, it's hard to find the confidence in that defense to sort of be the foundational piece of this team that you thought they'd be when Pat Narduzzi came in. Um, so I think they're, they're maybe slightly better this year, uh, but still hard to get to eight wins. Um, and, and I, I like him at seven. Um, and I, and I like maybe a guy named Paris Ford to come in and, mm. and be that piece in the defensive secondary go, to go along with Jordan Whitehead to, to help him take that next step. Yeah. Jordan Whitehead, just a phenomenal athlete. He, he was a little banged up last year after a, a good freshman season. Very interested to see what he get from him. Uh, one of my favorite things about media days is, you know, converge with other reporters, you know, so sort of a, a meeting of the minds. You're always kicking around your thoughts, your predictions, and uh, you can learn a lot from it. And sometimes you learn absolutely nothing. But the one of the things that where the opinions were all over the board, 
board, no consensus at all is for the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets. No, but no one knows what to figure out, uh, what to think about this team. Where uh, I've I've heard everything from hey like Matthew Jordan did pretty good as a backup quarterback before to it doesn't matter who the quarterback is it could be any one of the three of them the key is up front where they've got a really good offensive line uh, I our over under is at six I I took the over here um, personally but I wouldn't put it higher than like I don't I, I wouldn't take. At seven and a half, I would go under. At the six, the number we have, I'm going over because this feels like a seven and five Georgia Tech season where like they might beat Tennessee and then like lose to Duke. This is the this is the most Paul Johnson team of all time. Like this is so <laughs> Paul Johnson. Like so the number six, and when when I wrote down, just sort of jotted down my my overs and unders, I wrote like a sheepish over with like three question marks next to it and, and then as i as i looked into it a little more i crossed that out and i wrote full caps o-v-e-r full exclamation point like the more i look at it the more i realize what why are we overthinking this paul johnson has been a head coach since 97 and he's got two seasons in his in his entire career where he's won six games or less yeah so, I mean, it doesn't matter what the personnel is. You can read all you want about who's coming back and who the quarterback is and who's the B-back or, or whatever you want to read. This is a Paul Johnson team, and they'll have a weird year where they'll have a, you know, a couple of ten-and-a-half-minute drives and you know come back late in the game and kick a field goal after a, a seven-minute, 35-play drive and and win a game like it's just that's just what paul johnson does and so i'm i'm sort of at the point now where i, I just feel like uh, look i can read all about these guys but it, it's not going to matter this is a team that's going to figure out a way to get seven or eight wins and and they, take the over i mean why would you take an under on a paul johnson team it doesn't matter who the players are this is a team that's going to continue to figure out a way I got a question for you, Chip. Yeah. Where did you put Paul Johnson when we did our like big Power Five coach rankings? Where was Paul Johnson in your rankings? I had, a, I had. All right, so I had a crew right around the edge of the top twenty-five. It was like Paul Johnson, Mike Leach. Um, I can't remember who the other one was, but the the idea and the premise was you are so good at what you do that you have made everyone else adjust to it over time. Like like do Paul Johnson, Mike Leach, like kind of hard to based on like the full track record, kind of hard to put them up there maybe. And maybe it was around 20, but it was definitely just around like 20 to 25 where I had a group of coaches who are so unique in their style that they have been able to keep it going over time with a consistency that I think makes them among the best you know, among the top third in all of Power Five coaches, but that there just wasn't enough over time to be able to put them up at like the top ten. Well, I'm I'm with you, and it's it's so hard to do because the the conundrum with Paul Johnson is he's such a good coach, he's has such a great track record, he's been so successful, but yet what Power Five college football team would trade their coach for Paul Johnson? Probably. Not a whole lot, just because it's such a, you know, it's kind of this 
Uh, it's not as pleasing to the eye. It's, it's, you know, you've got a low ceiling. You know, you're probably never going to be perennial national title contenders. You know he's not Nick Saban. You know he's not Urban Meyer. So it's this weird place. But, but that sort of hammers home when I looked at that sort of um, career record. He wins all the time. He was he's a couple <laughs> years removed from eleven win season. Yeah, you know he had nine wins last year. I I can't. I don't even know how they got nine wins last year. So I just think Paul Johnson is such a unique, uh, a unique coach in a unique situation. And uh, and six wins to me is a gift. Way too low. Um. All right, we got Virginia, Wake Forest, and Duke all at five and a half. Ah, how, how, and this is like, uh, this is a fascinating year for Bronco Mendenhall. Uh, big, you mentioned Dave Clawson at Wake Forest and Duke. I think Daniel Jones is a absolute pro prospect for sure. I think he can play in the NFL for a, a long time, but I, I don't have much confidence in the rest of the roster. Like how, how do you power rank, uh, these three teams? Like how do you sort them out in terms of what your projection is for the fall? Well, to me, Duke is the most interesting of the three because I'm kind of interested where we're at in the David Cutcliffe trajectory. Mm. Like he came in and all of a sudden people started talking about him as one of the best coaches in college football because they had a couple good years at Duke. And then last year, what, they went four games last year? Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's now are we – because they went from 10 to 9 to 8 to 4 wins. And now are we at – sort of the point in the Duke tenure where we were at in the old Miss tenure when people got sick of him in Oxford and uh, wanted to move on to Ed O. Uh, well, so I, I think, are we going to head right back up or, are we, or is this sort of who we are now as Duke? And so um, I think of those three schools that you mentioned, I would lean Duke to have the best chance of hitting the over. Uh, but even them, I don't have a ton of confidence in. I think the other two are are underplays. Yeah. You know, I think Wake Forest, to me, is definitely going to be a better team than last year. But they are going to be, you know, they're just not going to win as many games. Their their schedule's tougher. Um, Dude, Wake Wake having to play at Appalachian State's tough. Mountaineers might win that game. Absolutely. That's a really tough one. And they've they've got to play Notre Dame as well. Um, so they're basically trade App State and Notre Dame for what was Tulane and, and Indiana last year. Uh, and so that's a tough trade there. They also get Georgia Tech instead of UVA out of the other division. Um, as good as that defense is, and I actually really like their new D coordinator, Jay Savell. Mm. Uh, but but I don't think it's still they still lost Mike Elko, who's one of the best in the game. I just think it's going to be a tough tough year for Wake. If they, this is another one. If they take a step forward, if they get to, you know, they were at what seven wins last year. Yeah. If they can get, if they can get to seven or eight wins again this year, man, that is a huge testament for Dave Clawson, who just sort of steadily grinds away wins at Fordham and Richmond and Bowling Green and now Wake. Uh, I mean, he's a really good football coach. But I just think this is a man. This is an uphill battle at Wake. Yeah, and that was the tone that I got from him talking talking to him in Charlotte. He was like, "We are going to be better, but the schedule is tough." Like I, I could almost feel like they are so happy that they not even got they not only got to the bowl game, but like played well in the bowl game last year, and that that not that 
um, not that it like buys you extra time, but it's just it's nice going into a year where you know that you might have a better football team and a worse record, knowing that you've already got something to hang your hat on with the fans. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. Um, and and I I do think that they've they've started recruiting a little bit better. Um, they and they've got some absolute dudes on defense. I mean, Duke Edgefor and, and Jesse Bates are two really good players. Duke is probably an NFL football player. Uh, so there's some things to work with. It's just, again, it's, it's going to be a tough, tough battle. And then to me, Virginia, that was a hire when Bronco Mendenhall came that felt a little bit like the Brett Bielema hire at Arkansas. Uh, kind of came out of nowhere, big name, widely praised. But now that we've dug into it some. What's the it's, fit it's, like? It's not a great fit. Yeah. It just isn't a great fit. And I'm with you. You know, so I, they they looked bad last year through most of the year. Um, Kurt Benkert has has to I think be the quarterback he was the first few games of the season and, and settle in. Um, and and granted, they've got some really good players on defense in um, Quinn Blanding, who's who's one of the best safeties in the country. Uh, and then those linebackers, you know, with Micah Kaiser, and 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 so they've got some talents on the defensive side of the ball. But uh, I just look at their schedule line them up and I don't know who I've got more confidence in Virginia who who you know I don't have more confidence in Virginia than just about anybody they play yeah I power rank Duke Wake Forest UVA and I I don't know like that's a uh that's that's a spot where I'm looking at Virginia as probably being uh better off like like if Virginia if Virginia got to play um like if Virginia played in the ACC Atlantic, Virginia would have a an over under win total of like three and a half or four. Right. You just like because you've got a solid quarterback in Kurt Benkert, then I think that you're assuming that you're going to be able to get a lot more out of him than you might actually like it's it looks nicer than it might play out. Like a two and ten season would be incredibly disappointing and make UVA fans question a lot, but I wouldn't be shocked, you know? No, it, it, because again, it's just. I, I think that even even as much as we talk about that sort of latter half of the ACC, there's a lot of parity in that section, and so I think all those games are losable. And there's really, I mean, hey, Virginia's look, they're at the bottom of the heap right now. Like they're at the bottom of the pile. So they're they're how many games are they going to be favorites in? Like um, three all year, maybe William and Mary, UConn, and and. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, so it's, it's, and I don't even know if they're favoring UConn. I, I, you know, but it's, so when you're the underdog in, in 10 of your games, um, I don't know what kind of expectations you can have. Boston College and Syracuse, they're both over under set at four. I feel like who, this is going to be one of those things where like whoever wins their head to head game. Uh, ends up getting the uh, the push on this one or I- into the right direction. Um, that uh, two very different spots though. You know, Dino Babers just came in last year. Uh, he said that in his experience, the light comes on around game four or five of year two. Uh, so he is hoping that that light's going to come on and everything's going to really click for the orange. Boston College has an un believable talent in Harold Landry. They are very lucky to get him back, but man, I don't, I don't know what to expect from the Eagles this year. I went uh, over 
for for BC and push for Syracuse when I first uh, wrote the ACC win totals last month. Coming out of ACC Media Days, I might have that flipped. I might have more uh, more confidence in the Orange. Where are you at with these two teams from the bottom of the Atlantic? I actually I actually have some confidence in the in the over for Boston College. I I think Steve Adazio is is a sneaky good coach, given what they the 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 players that they've had to, to you know the the personnel they've had offensively. Um, I think it's actually fun to watch Boston College on offense. The things they do with the tight ends, the different ways that they get extra gaps in there in the run game. Uh, and they've got a quarterback in Darius Wade who's who's got he's been around for a while. Like there there's he may not have a whole lot of production to him, but he's been around for a while. Jonathan Hillman is is looks like he's fully healthy again. As a true freshman, remember this is a guy that he came out in this that 2014 class with Dalvin Cook and Nick Chubb and and Leonard Fournette and those guys, and he was one of the best in the country as a true freshman, and and now he's 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 had some injuries now he's healthy again I think if he can be that dude in the run game, I think he could be a, a real difference maker and, and I'll tell you I, I'm a I'm a spring game nerd I keep on dropping the spring game but I, I watched some of the Boston College spring game. And their tight end Tommy Sweeney was really good. Like they, and you know they're saying they got a couple of the best tight ends in the conference. I, I would believe it uh, based on what I saw in the spring game. I just think they're going to be able to do some things on offense. They've got an offensive line that returns most of their starters, um, and then their defense. Forget about it. I mean, we already know how good they are. Harold Landry, as you mentioned, is a stud. So. I actually think that this is a team that could could sneak up there and, and beat some people that you wouldn't expect them to beat. I mean, they've been seven and six three of the last four years. Uh, the three and eight year was the outlier, uh, and so I, I kind of feel like this is a team that can get it done. Um, you know, Syracuse on the other hand, nineteen starters returning, right? Yeah. I mean, at, but at the same time. They got to keep their quarterback healthy. I mean, if Eric Dungy, I mean, he's had some concussion issues. He's gotten beat up a lot. They've got to keep him healthy. If they can do that, then they can win some games. If not, I don't, you know, I still think this is a team that's outmanned talent wise. They got two safeties that are five foot eight, Chip. Like, that's a, that's a, I just don't think that they've got the physicality defensively. How are you going to, how are you going to stop Deion Kane with your five eight defensive back? I'm telling you, man. Like it's just this is a tough. Co- I mean, there's some there's some players in this conference that makes it tough to have a fi- couple five eight defensive backs at safety and a couple six foot linebackers in the middle. Uh, you know, it's just uh, I think that they still are a couple years away from having the talent to be able to really compete the way Dino Babers wants to. But it'll be interesting. I mean, he's going to make it fun, and they're going to throw the ball around. Uh, I just I'm not super confident in the over on Syracuse. All right. When we're looking at uh, the we, – we just made our win totals for the season, but, Barton, when when we're looking at sort of uh, making some predictions 
predictions or some projections moving forward? Like if these were stocks and there's a, there's a team where you've been able to see from the recruiting trail, uh, you know, from last year's class or maybe even some of the work that they're putting in with this year's class and moving forward. Like I feel like you have a unique advantage of being able to sort of scout out and see things two to three years before a lot of the rest of us. Who in the ACC – is a team that where you are seeing the pieces being moved, where the chess pieces are being put in place, where you feel like in a couple years, like not just this year, but in a couple years, uh, we might be able to see either improvement or some big-time success. Well, if if my stock price on Virginia Tech is the 8.5 total this year and not the 10 wins from last year, then then I think think you're getting a lot of value in the Hokies because – Again, I, I do believe in, in Justin Fuente as an as a offensive coach, as a quarterback developer. And while this year might, be, uh, some, it might have some growing pains at a quarterback position, I also really believe Hendon Hooker is going to be a dude there long term. Not only that, but what they're bringing in offensively, a kid named Caleb Farley who could probably play either side of the ball, He's really, really talented and probably is going to be a receiver for them. That's going to be a long-term hookup. They brought in two of my favorite tight ends in the country uh, and, and both of these like big six foot five, six foot six, really talented kids. Uh, Drake Deulis is, is one of them. Uh, the other kid, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of blanking on his name, a kid from Colorado who was, I, I think has a chance. He played like running back, tight end, linebacker, quarterback. Just one of these do-it-all athletes. Um, and, and so I just think they've got a bunch of personnel coming in that's going to help that offense really you know, have all the pieces in place to put up huge numbers. Uh, so I like what Virginia Tech's doing, and I just think Justin Fuente is a really good coach. The one other team I'll give you, though, that might be even a year further away is, is North Carolina. Mm. And, and that's based on what they're doing in part this year. I mean, again, I told you about the, the, the running back, Michael Carter who I think is going to be a stud for them. But they've got two quarterbacks committed in this class who are really good and two very different guys. They also got a, a, a wide receiver in Jordan Adams, whose dad is on the staff there at North Carolina, who I think is a who, who is a five-star for us, who I think is an Odell Beckham type of guy. Um, and, and they're just recruiting really well in this 2018 class. So I just think that they've got, again – I said it. This is a finger in the dam type of season for them, but I think if they're able to to, to keep things together and be respectable, man, I, I think that they'll springboard off of that over the next couple of years. He is Barton Simmons. You can follow him on Twitter at Barton Simmons. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Uh, we've got two more episodes coming for you this week, so make sure that you subscribe, review, and rate. Uh, should be a whole lot of fun. Barton, thanks so much. All right, brother. Thank you.